breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to another episode of Reform This with Sudi Jasser. It's always great to be with you. The doctor is back in the house. Yes, uh, we've got a lot to talk to you about. Uh, you know, this is the episode. This is not only the episode. This is the podcast that I hope you guys come to to hear the truth, to hear Frank talk about the realities that face us in national security, counterterrorism, in policies, in what we should do as a strategy against radical Islam, against the jihadists, what I still believe is the greatest threat to humanity in the 21st century. And I think the problem starts with Muslims and ends with Muslims. Not all Muslims. Obviously, the majority I do not believe are Islamists, but a huge plurality believe in the theopolitical movement, the political Islam. And from that pool of radicalism comes the militant Islamists who are the terrorists. And it's a problem that is a theopolitical problem of Muslims, and only we can solve it. And in this podcast, I try to do my little contribution to fixing that, to reforming, to bringing Muslims in line with modernity. And I hope we can start the conversation here. It needs diverse ideas. And you know what? Next week, I told you about this last week, we are going to be in Minneapolis in Ilhan Omar's backyard asking the appalling questions. Yes. Myself, Ezra Nomani, Shireen Kudosi, leaders in the Muslim reform movement of both ethnic, political, social diverse backgrounds, religious diversity, are going to be having a conversation, a town hall with Minnesotans, with with Muslims and non-Muslims, an interfaith conversation at the University of Minnesota in Minneapolis, We're going to be talking about honoring Islam by asking the appalling questions. You might remember I gave you, I shared with you a little audio a few weeks ago of Ilhan Omar dressing down Ani Zonefeld because Ani, the head of the Muslim Muslim for Progressive Values, had the temerity to ask her what we should do more to speak out against FGM. I actually thought her question was pretty soft. And, and she asked her how she wanted to leave her mark in work against FGM and the horror done to young women, young girls. And she responded by a sarcastic review of, oh, what should we do? I'm getting so tired. I'm getting so tired of condemning Hamas on Monday and Al-Qaeda on Tuesday and FGM on Wednesday and yada, yada, yada. These questions are appalling, she said. Well... We're coming into her backyard, and we will be there not only this week, but we are going to plant our consciousness in the backyard of every apologetic Muslim that doesn't ask the question of how we can be better, but settles for the question and for the answer of that we are the lowest of expectations as American Muslims. And our response is going to be, We can do better. We can do better than care. We can do better than Islamism. We can reform the ideas that are strapping our community down from any modernity, from any creativity, and radicalizing our community 
when we can be better than the Ilhan Omars of the world who are apologists for Somalia. I don't know if you heard the story this week, but there's a telecom company, a major, major company in Somalia that that whose whose owner, Mr. Jamil, has been connected to giving hundreds of thousands, if not millions, to Al-Shabaab, the Al-Qaeda affiliate, the radical Islamist terror group that's been turning Somalia into a wasteland of anarchy, the separatist group that rejects the Somali government, who's been at war with the Somali government for over a decade, if not more, and who our U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom has labeled repeatedly, at least when I was there and now, labels that non-state actor as a organization in a country of particular concern, which means that our State Department should put forth certain sanctions to prevent and counter what that organization does. And this week, Ilhan Omar puts out a tweet that calls on, there was a bomb, a terrorist attack on an Hormud telecom facility and they believe the terrorist attack came from a Kenyan radical group and Congresswoman Ilhan Omar puts out a tweet and says she calls on the American government, she calls on the Somali government to protect Hormud because of all the good things that she's seen from them and she remembered in the tweet in 2011 how much advancement and modernity they brought to Somalia. That's a paraphrase but she basically tweeted out the handle for the telecom company who's been connected to financing terrorism and is part of the kleptocracy, the mafioso tribalism of Somalia. And she called upon some new type of American foreign policy, I guess, that protects radical corporations. Now, listen, we can get into the details of it. She's Somalian. Maybe you can argue that she has some information or you can make an argument that actually she's doing a hat tip to the tribes of the refugees that are looking to see if she's going to help certain familial tribal interests in her motherland. And she gave them a hat tip that those who are employed by industries that Hormud funds, that she will help them out. And I'm not necessarily saying direct terrorism, but I'm talking about at least the establishment of the Somalian of the Somali government, Somali economy. And she also is trying to pretend to be a peacemaker and care about human rights when, in fact, she never condemns the Islamist radicalism. She never condemns jihadism. Her district has the highest rate of radicalization, highest rate of jihadist foreign fighters leaving Minnesota to go fight in Somalia. Her district has the highest... Actually, her district, Minnesota, has the claim to fame of having a video put out by Al-Shabaab that actually spoke out to and reached out in the Somali language to Somali refugee citizens living in, in America, telling them that you should make your life more valuable, serve in the jihad, leave Minnesota and come join the jihad with Al-Shabaab. They gave a little hat tip to her district. The investigative project on terrorism called for her to condemn that video. She's repeatedly ignored any attempts for contact or response to that. So 
She had all in a tiff a few weeks ago, a few months ago, when President Trump insulted her. Yes, now he could have used probably a little better language as far as, you know, go back to the country, whatever that is. That that actually is not the issue. The issue is his tweet in which he said she should care more about Somalia. If she really wants to fix a country and live the blessings of being an American, then maybe look at what's happening in her own motherland where she may have family members, etc. And the left looked at that as so horrifically nativist and absurd. And in fact, so if that's offensive, why is she tweeting about telecom industries to get protection as if her expertise on Somalia is what navigates her to that point? Okay, yeah, I talk about Syria a lot. My motherland, my parents escaped Syria's political refugees. But I also recognize that that also holds me then with a significant amount more responsibility to address radicalism and jihadism and not to give apologetics to put America and the West into anesthesia about the real problems of the ideologies from folks that immigrate here as refugees. But that's not what she's doing. She wants it both ways. She claims victimization and targeting for racial identity politics by her political adversaries from the president on down when they identify her conservatism with her hijab or her political leanings as an Islamist, and then she screams bloody murder as a victim of fascism and racism when they ask her about that stuff, about why she's not speaking out against FGM, and she protests a little too much. And then she speaks to the fundamentalist Islamist community and now says no comment when she's asked about infidelity, asked about an affair with a gentleman that reaped in $250,000 as a consultant to her campaign, who's now ex-wife in a divorce proceeding, says that Ilhan Omar was the other woman. So here's a woman full of contradictions. Now, was she having an affair? I don't know. Most of us don't really care. But at the end of the day, we should care if she's presenting herself as a conservative, family value, progressive Islamist. Wow, there's so many contradictions there on my head spinning. But if that's how she's presenting herself, it becomes relevant. If she's presenting herself as an expert on Hormud, telecom company in Somalia, then you know what? The disproportionate criticism where she says the wall has concentration camps and she doesn't even care about what the Islamist jihadists are doing in Somalia, that's a contradiction worth talking about. That's why we're going to Minneapolis. We think the Minnesotans deserve to hear from Muslim leaders that have platforms. Maybe we don't have half a million followers. But we certainly have a challenge to her monolithic monopoly on American Muslim voices. Because we do believe Muslims can do better. And our message, and I, I look forward to telling you how it goes. We're going to have it Facebooked, streamed, live streamed for those of you who are not in the area. So go to my Facebook page at MZ Jasser. It'll be on Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Central. 7 p.m. Central, 8 p.m. Eastern. 
and my Facebook page, also Facebook page of the American Islamic Forum for Democracy and the Muslim Reform Movement. So we're going to be talking about asking the appalling questions, talking to audience members about questions they've wanted to ask. And yeah, we're going to have some criticism for Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib, the two icons now of American Muslim representation. But we're also going to dive into the issues, actually answer questions, actually look at root cause analysis, actually be contrite, have some voice, some contrition about the fact that we have a lot of work to do. The honor culture needs to be addressed. Do you know what Rashida Tlaib said this week about the honor culture? This again speaks to what the work we have to reform. Shireen Kudosi wrote about this at the Clarion Project this week. And actually, you know, initially I thought, oh, wait, I, I heard Rashida Tlaib talk about this honor killing in the Palestinian areas. I thought, oh, wow, she's actually starting to talk, talk about things that she might be able to impact in a positive way rather than a victimized, anti-American, anti-Israel kind of way. But no, she figured out within 10 seconds how to twist it into some kind of contorted Nonsense. As Shireen says at the Clarion Project, and I'd ask you to look at her article, she said a few weeks ago, 21-year-old Isra Gharib, an aspiring makeup artist in Bethlehem with a large following on Instagram, asked her mother if she could take a date and date a certain man. She had chaperones on the date. They liked one another, and they got married. Right before they were going to get engaged, Gharib took a video of them together at a coffee shop and posted it on her Instagram account. She posted their date on Instagram. Cousin was outraged at the honor breach. Father was informed, and they beat her. Threw her out of a two-story window, and she had a spinal cord injury. She was bruised and beaten. And she responded by saying, I'm strong, I will live. And the story is just not only tear-jerking, but reminds you of how absurd the culture is. It was ignored, the story, by Western media. What did Rashida Tlaib tweet out? She said, Isra's death illustrates an ever-present toxic masculinity and control over women's bodies and lives. Help get justice, hashtag justice for Isra, by exposing the truth. And then the article that she links begins with a disclaimer that honor killings are not a problem specific to Muslims or the Arab world. Oh, oh no, it has nothing to do with Islamic fundamentalism or Wahhabism. Not at all. None of the Salafism. So, Tlaib then goes on to blame the honor killings for the occupation. No, blame the honor killings on the occupation. So therefore blaming Israel for the toxic masculinity. I mean, that's going to be the next Gillette ad. You know, the Gillette ad that failed where they talked about toxic masculinity. All of a sudden, one of the brands of American culture, which was masculinity now, 
this new term for the left is toxic masculinity. And add that, by the way, tanked Gillette's profits for the last six months. But no, an Islamist, now Tlaib may report she's not an Islamist because she has the language of a sailor, doesn't wear a hijab, and for all practical purposes appears to be secular. But from a political, from a theopolitical purposes, who she hangs out with, the radical Hezbollah supporters, the Islamist Hamas supporters, she might as well be the dream of any Islamist theologian out there. She could not be a better warrior, a better soldier for the jihad than the power of her pen, the power of her tongue. And her apologetics, by the way, are just nuts. I mean, it is crazy. And it shows the disingenuousness disingenuousness of a politician that wants to blame Israel. And the pathology where she starts touching on, she must realize how dishonest she is. Because she talked about control of women's body. So does she really believe anyone who attends mosque And as I tweeted out, I said, well, if you talked about the reality of the honor culture, you would upset the ammos, which is the uncles in Arabic, the sittas, which are the na- the grandmothers in Arabic. You'd upset the ikhwan, the, the, the achis, the brothers. So all the parts of the family of the tribe would get upset with you if you actually called them out. But she doesn't call them out. She finds a boogeyman conveniently the Jewish community, the Israeli state, and then makes her little sideswipe about, doesn't use flagrant, obvious terms, which are the truth, like misogyny, but she talks about toxic masculinity. So it's the masculinity that's toxic, rather than the misogyny and the theological oppression of a theological interpretation which uses Quran, our scripture, to tell women that they get half a vote in a court, quarter of the inheritance, that they they cannot be divorced by themselves, that the man has to divorce them. They can't choose divorce. That hitting them is okay as long as the man doesn't lift his elbow up off his side. Now, that's not from the Quran. That is from Hadith, which I don't believe is legitimate. And all those other things I just went through I believe, are either misinterpreted or need to be reinterpreted, whichever way you want to say it. But the Salafist, the fundamentalist orthodox interpretation that tries to imitate what the radicals think the prophet did, and I say think because, again, these are all stories and narratives that can be looked at through different lenses with a projection of modernization that allows ishtihad or modern interpretations to project how the same scripture could be reread not only at the founding of the religion in the 7th century but then in the 11th century the 13th the 18th and now the 21st century in a way that looks at well how can you look at this through the lens of equality if you believe in pure equality of men and women what do you do with that passage about a quarter of the inheritance maybe you say it doesn't apply anymore because now men and women have equal chance of being the primary 
breadwinners, the primary, whatever it may be, and the way you want to describe the household. There are ways to interpret it in which it holds true to the modern feminist movement, which took centuries in growth, but needs to be honored from a human rights perspective, humanitarian perspective, and a rational perspective, a rational one. No human being can believe that a woman can be treated any way less than the equal of a man. It's just irrational. And yet Tlaib doesn't get into that theological debate. She wants to blame, in her bigoted, fascistic way, she wants to blame the West, Israel, the Jews, and toxic masculinity. Now, we need to address the root cause. If you watch Al Jazeera, if you watch Al Qardawi, the cleric of the Islamists of the Brotherhood that inspires the spirituality, the interpretations of the Brotherhood, it's all these clerics that you never see on Islamist television, you never see on Palestinian jihadist television. No, that is the the brew, the cauldron that brews the jihadism of the toxic, not masculinity, the toxic Islamism that ends up in honor killing, in honor culture, in FGM, in honor abuse. And the honor abuse, by the way, is not just physical abuse. There's mental abuse. There's a prevention in equal education, equal opportunity. And this is orders of magnitude worse than we, I mean, we even admit in the West, there's so much work that needs to be done. We see what the Me Too movement did, opened up the eyes of a West that has gone through an acknowledgement of the need since the suffrage movement to allow voting and, and better property rights and income equality for women. But now we simply have such low expectations for Muslims. The Saudis talk about letting women drive and all of a sudden, oh, good, reform, Muslims are reformed. Yep, it's all done. Uh, not really. <laughs> the Saudis are deflecting you. That's not happened. There's no clerics talking about reform interpretation. They're just hangling. They're just hanging a little. They're dangling a little, you know, uh, uh, demonstration of acknowledgement that women are going to be more modern in one step and 20 miles they need to go yet they're putting them on councils in a small little town in Saudi Arabia that doesn't matter not on the ju judicial council in Mecca or, or Jeddah no they're on little towns so there's a lot of work that has to be done but listen if you guys get anything from this podcast if you know any Muslims if you're working in reform the mantra should be we can do better we can do better. We can do better than Rashida Tlaib. We can do better than Ilhan Omar. They exist and we will counter them. They have a right to believe what they believe, but they are not in line with Western values. They are fringe radicals that are anti-feminist, anti-progressivists. They claim to be progressive, but the progressive movement just cannot. If, if Ilhan Omar gives a speech defending transgender rights 
on the floor of the house, does that make her progressive when she sounds like on the when she talks about Jews, she gets retweeted by David Duke? Does that make sense? Does it make sense that Rashida Tlaib, when she organizes a trip to Israel, is organized by a BDS movement that wants to wipe Israel off the map? That's the values of the progressive movement. I get that they're very liberal in their approach to domestic policies in Israel, but most of the progressives that I know that are supporters of Israel not only believe in the sovereignty of Israel, but reject the premise of the BDS movement, which is the economic destruction of Israel, which is a belief in the right of return. The BDS movement believes in the right of return. That means, right of return means Palestinians become a a, a severe majority. And that negates the Jewish state. You cannot have a Jewish state in which the Jews are a minority in them. So, listen, I believe that just as in any endeavor in life people are what you dream them to be your friends if you if you have high expectations of them they will know that you love them so tough love is the way you inspire close relationships so yes we should hold our friends to the highest of accountability so if you believe in the equality of all faiths of muslims and non-muslims jews and christians and and atheists and all why do we expect so little of Muslims? You know, I look at people who are being platformed, the radicalism of Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib, and then the shape-shifting of people like Muhammad Tawhidi. You see this guy, he's being interviewed by David Rubin, by, you know, uh, a number of outlets in his recent tour in the United States, and you'd listen to Tawhidi, and, and this guy might have a few sound bites here and there that sound... Like he recognizes that there's problems and and uh, he's taken on Ilhan Omar and tweets against the Islamists and Muslim Brotherhood. But then you look at his background and he's just a walking contradiction. His stories don't match. His history doesn't match. His his tweets are deleted two weeks later when he gets put under pressure. His pieces that he wrote on the Huffington Post disappear after we criticize them. And he's a follower of Ayatollah Shirazi. And you look at the Shirazi sect, it's a heterodox, radical offshoot in the Shia tradition. So no doubt he's going to be anti-Muslim Brotherhood, anti-Al-Qaeda, anti-ISIS, anti-Hamas, because those are Sunni radical groups. He's a Shia radical. And that Shia heterodox is going to be anti-Khomeini. So the West has their head spinning, and they hear a guy who sounds like he's pretty good, and he's anti-ISIS, and says things like they are, and let's lift him up, he's a great guy. Ilhan Omar for the left, lift her up. She's a great lady. She wears a hijab and says all the right things about climate change, about socialism, etc. Who cares if internally she's supported by anti-Semites that would find a home with the KKK? No, that doesn't matter. She says the right things on climate change and socialism and supports Nancy Pelosi. So we have to be careful. A lot of these people might have some sound bites that are clickbait for many people in the West, but when you look deeper below the surface, they are nasty human beings. So yeah, if you love your Muslim community and your Muslim friends, hold them accountable to the same standards you would hold any politician, any theologian, any academic that you would want to respectfully endorse. You should not be retweeting and endorsing people 
that don't have the character worth. Now, often we can be wrong and we give people the benefit of the doubt as Americans. It's one of the, I think, one of the greatest things about Americans. Also, one of our biggest liabilities is sometimes we just sort of take people at face value and we try not to judge. That's good. I'm not judging. But also when you realize that here's a guy, Tawhidi, we still don't even know how that guy makes a living. We have a Twitter account called Imam of Iblis. His Twitter account is Imam of Peace. We have a Twitter account that we put out as a research tool to put out all our video clips and put out our research that uh, our American Islamic Forum for Democracy has done. Because listen, a lot, you know, there's few reformers out there in our reform movement, and they're all just fantastic, courageous people, but we have vetted each other. We've looked to what we've written, what we've said over decades, and we've realized that we are a group that we might disagree on a number of things, but we realize at least we can trust one another. And I'm sorry, from the first time I did research on Muhammad Tawhidi, I could not trust him further than I could throw him. And I never wanted to meet him. Because nothing he puts out is consistent with what he said a week before, two weeks before, or two years before. He says he got radicalized and reformed in 2015, and then there's videos and tweets of him saying just offensive things. 2016, 2017, 2018, in which he describes the prophet's wife as a whore, and other things that are quite divisively sectarian that you know a radical Shia cleric would say. And yes, there are radical Sunni clerics that say the same things about the Shia. I do not say those things. But if someone's inconsistent in doing the taqiyya, pandering, if you will, I'm going to call it out, whether they're Sunni or Shia. And we work with Sunnis and Shia and, and Ismailis and Ahmadiyya and all the different sects in Islam this is not about, actually, it's about fighting sectarianism, and the most deceptive of the heterodox are the ones that can be the most dangerous because they work on creating divisions so that they can pretend to rise above the rest. So we can do better. Muslims can do better than the clickbait folks. So the next time you hear somebody that says something you agree with, that's why I do these podcasts. Get on the record. Have some material out there that you've said that can be vetted week to week to see if we contradict ourselves from the things we said two years before about our own history. It's important. Muslims can do better. Hold us accountable. Reform cannot happen in a cesspool, in a swamp of folks who lie about their past, who deceive about what they're trying to do, deceive about the relationships. Tawhidi couldn't even come clean about his relationship with Shirazi. When you corner him, he'll say, oh, well, I've, I've separated myself from Shirazi. Oh, okay. That's why you saw a picture hanging behind him. When you say, how is it that you have credentials of a cleric? Oh, he's anointed by Shirazi. So he got his credentials from Shirazi. When you ask him about what he's reforming, all the things he's reforming are actually the Sunni hadith, not the Shia radicalism. So when I talk about reform, I look at my own mosques that I attend, the Sunni radical teachings that if I had not been raised in a pro-American household with a modern interpretation of Sunni, more Sufi Islam, 
I would have been radicalized by those teachings. And I addressed them front and center, the Bukhari, the Sahih Bukhari Hadith, the, the Saudi interpretation of the Wahhabi translations of the Muhammad Khan Qur'ans. When you ask Tawhidi about Shirazi, he just minimizes it. If he was honest about reform, the thing he would spend the most time criticizing is the clerics that radicalized him, if he is was radicalized. And I think his whole story is made up, actually. So, no reform can be successful if it's led by folks that are deceiving and telling the influential, economically successful globally dominant western democracies telling them things they want to hear so that you can be you can fall into their favor and the islamists do the same thing they tell their constituents what they want to hear so they can stay in their favor of the islamists so that their tribes are not offended and they continue to blame the zionists in the west yeah so hold us accountable are we demagogues or are we honest navigators for the truth and for reform? Muslims can do better than the current people being platformed for our community. We need to be held to our own best standards, our own best possibilities. And we can do it. And that's, I think, what American history is all about. As Abraham Lincoln said, America is the world's last best hope. You can't be that last best hope if your leaders are paper-thin icons of contradiction. Look forward to next week letting you know how our little town hall in Minnesota goes. And then I'll be speaking the next day at CPAC Minnesota, the conservative political action conference that will ask the question, some people did something on 9-11, and I'll tell you about that. Looking forward to talking to you all again. Thank you for being with me this week. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.